The following program discusses medical information that is general in nature and not intended to serve as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be experiencing. Welcome to episode number two of Nice Living with Dr. Cameron. I'm your co-host, Amy Bowen, and while this podcast is dedicated to shedding light on many health and wellness topics, our show's namesake and host, Dr. Cameron Gadarzi of Scarless Vein Care, just happens to be one of the foremost experts in the nation when it comes to the treatment of varicose veins and spider veins. So over the next couple of episodes, we're going to be diving deep into vein disease, also known as venous disease. We're going to be talking about the causes, risk factors, symptoms, and treatment options as well. So let's get to it. Welcome, Dr. Cameron. Thanks, Amy. Of course, uh, we are trying to do this uh, nice living by Dr. Cameron. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, cover a whole uh, series of topics, things which commonly affect people, and they are very interested to know. But I thought I would start off by talking about venous disease because I have spent very many years in general and general vascular surgery. Past uh, 17 years, really the treatment of venous disease was revolutionized by what we call intravascular treatment. And from a hospital setting to an outpatient setting is that I've dedicated a large portion of my life in treating venous disease. So I felt could consider myself as somewhat of an expert in uh, treating venous disease. So with, I thought we started by talking about veins and thank you for giving me the opportunity to do this. So to start, Dr. Cameron, how does the vascular system work and what actually happens structurally when things start to go wrong? Well, we all know about circulation. Uh, you know, circulation doesn't matter whether it's the brain or legs or uh, intestine. It uh, involves two components. The blood gets pumped to the tissue from your heart. Heart uh, has a fair amount of pressure, pushes the blood through to the tissue, but then, then blood has got to get out. And the venous part or the vein part is when the blood returns back to the heart. So the way I would probably compare it to everyday life, you know, uh, for example, here we are in Wilmington, North Carolina. There's this highway I-40, which is very fast, very efficient most of the time. So 75 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour, you're driving, get to Wilmington in no time. The minute you get to the outskirts of Wilmington, uh, there's always some congestion because of city planning, whatever the issue could be, and the traffic is not moving. So now... Uh, the arteries is what takes you through the highway to Wilmington, uh, considering if there, was, if, if there was no issue with the traffic. But once it makes it to Wilmington, it can't get out. So you can't get out of Wilmington to go to Myrtle Beach or wherever else you, know, you want to go if you were going through Wilmington. So it creates a congestion. It slows down the traffic. And venous is the same thing. So if, if the blood is not getting out, it causes congestion and it slows down the circulation. Uh, as I often say, circulation is not just blood getting there, it's, it's getting there and getting out. So uh, that was basically uh, a short version of the physiology. So blood gets to the leg, but it cannot get out of, uh, so normally it would get out through the uh, veins back into the heart or from the head back into the heart or from your arms back to the heart through the venous system, through the veins. So you draw this comparison to a highway as far as how the flow can kind of get backed up. And I think from a really basic level of understanding, a lot of people probably think of their veins as just these pipes where the blood supply just kind of 
flows through. But that's not all there is to the structure and, and how veins actually work, is it? Uh, no, no, not, not really. So I think if I was going to compare it, I would say it's more like rivers and tributaries. In fact, the branches of the vein uh, in medical school, they always remind you they're not branches or tributaries because it's more like rivers. Uh, and these uh, these are not pipes, as you mentioned, in that there are muscles inside inside the vein wall. And those muscles make the vein uh, contract to some extent or dilate. And if the structure of the vein is, is damaged, if the muscle is damaged or the vein wall is damaged, then the vein becomes very thin-walled. It becomes what we call aneurysmal. It's just like a tire on your bike. It pushes out in some areas and it can even rupture. I mean, that's how veins do rupture and sometimes they can clot. But one of the major problems with veins is when, when the blood gets from the heart into the tissue, the blood vessels get smaller and smaller and eventually they get microscopic and they get into what we call capillaries. When it gets to the capillary, now we are talking about things that you could barely see on microscope. The red cells find themselves out of the, uh, the this road called the artery, get into what they're supposed to be doing, which is uh, cells to try to give it nutrition, give it oxygen. And once these cells have gotten the nutrition and oxygen, then the blood, which now doesn't have much nutrition left and oxygen left, tries to get back into the venous system. That's why blood in the vein is usually blue because it doesn't have much oxygen. Blood in the arteries are red. So by the time they come back into the veins, uh, there is no pressure. All the pressure was taken going through all these capillaries. So the heart might have pumped it at 120 or 140 millimeters of mercury. When it passes through these tiny, tiny microscopic vessels, all the pressure is gone. And now the blood is trying to get back to the heart. It can't. So what pushes the blood back? We found that uh, it is your uh, it's, it's a series of uh, muscles particularly the calf muscles, which is very much uh, responsible for getting the blood back to the heart. And of course, thigh muscles, even respiration can affect it. But the calf muscle seems to be the main, main uh, muscle which pushes the blood back to the heart. And valves. So when you want to push something out, you have to squeeze the vein. And then as the muscles contract, like when you're walking, you squeeze the vein, blood gets out. And then the muscle relaxes, blood tries to get back, but there are valves inside the vein, so blood can't get back out. The arteries don't have valves. They don't need to because there's a lot of pressure there. Veins have valves. You know, Dr. Cameron, I think most people are familiar with valves, you know, when it comes to the structure of the heart, but probably not so much when it comes to veins. So how similar are these in terms of structure and function? And then what role can these valves play when it comes to vein disease? Uh, of course, the heart valves are a lot bigger, but uh, they function very, very similar uh, to it. Now, the heart valves, you know, there's, we know where the valves are. Uh, they are very unique. In veins, they're a little, little bit variable. Uh, one of the most consistent veins, uh, you know, let's talk about the veins in the legs because that's the main issue usually in most people who have venous insufficiency is the veins in the, in the, in the leg. There is a, a valve right in the groin called the saphenofemoral valve, and that um, a lot of people believe that's the first valve which gives. Of course, there's some controversy there. Some people believe in ascending theory and descending theory, but essentially the first valve, uh, most people believe the first valve which gives is the saphenofemoral valve. And then after that valve, there's a preterminal valve, which means the valve before the terminal valve. And these are both in the groin. And there are several valves until you get to the knee. As you pass the knee, the number of valves increase. And the lower down you go, the more valves there are. So... Uh, they're not very consistent, but they are present all the way through the uh, venous system. Essentially, if you think about a pump, a pump works very well as long as, you know, you kind of squeeze it, 
how there's a valve which gets the blood out. Now, if your valves in the heart doesn't work, you get heart failure. Your heart can't pump as well. When the veins in the leg, they those valves get defective, then the blood can't get out of the leg. So you get congestion, you get swelling, you get all the symptoms, a sign of venous insufficiency, as we call it. Like cardiac insufficiency would be venous insufficiency. It just means it's defective. The blood can't get out. So we're finding out now that vascular issues are extremely common. I mean, in fact, there's evidence indicating that the condition's so common, it's an estimation that it affects nearly one in eight adults in the U.S. Women, of course, more likely to develop them uh, or those vascular issues than men. And they're not just cosmetic issues. Vascular issues can be quite serious. In our next episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more in depth about the signs and symptoms of vein disease. Uh, but right now, let's talk about the risk factors. Who's likely to face this condition, Dr. Cameron? So there's, of course, all kinds of reasons for veins not to function properly. You can have uh, cloths in the in the deep system, which might not go away and therefore block the venous system. I'm not going to bore you too much about all the things which can cause pathology, but let's talk about the common things. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, anywhere from 40 to 50% of people have some degree of venous insufficiency. Now, some people, the numbers are a little bit less than that. Some people think it's, it's more. But uh, overall, we know it's a little bit more common in women than men. But uh, there is a part of it we don't fully understand, and this part we do understand. We do understand that the valves in their legs uh, become defective. They don't work. And we know there's a genetic predisposition to it. So why some people get the disease of this valve and the valves don't function, we don't fully understand. But we know if any of your parents have it, whether mom or dad, the chance of you getting it is extremely high. And somebody said the only way to avoid it is next time to have a different set of parents. <laughs> so so genetic predisposition, I've done literally thousands and thousands of vein procedures, and I've seen at least 100 times more than I've done vein procedures. So the common denominator seems to be genetics. All these patients do seem to have somebody in the family who had venous disease. So why does the valves stop functioning these people? We don't know. And we found out that it happens in the legs and not in the arms. So as we mentioned, women are more likely to encounter vein disease than men. Can you talk a little bit more about why this may be the case? More recent studies I was reading somewhere a few years ago where they measured uh, what we call estrogen receptors in the veins of the leg, and there were a lot more these receptors in the veins of the leg than they are in the veins anywhere else. So there's something unique about veins uh, in the leg. So if there are estrogen receptors, we know anything which increases your estrogen level is going to also uh, cause your veins to get worse. So, for example, during ovulation, when uh, estrogen level is, uh, is is elevated and therefore uh, their uh, veins start getting more dilated. And in fact, a lot of patients who have venous insufficiency uh, tell me that they really start, uh, legs are start really aching around their periods and because of high estrogen level. Or during pregnancy, for example, we used to think it was the weight of the uterus or it's because you gain weight during pregnancy or weight of the baby pushing on the, you know, on the blood vessels, the veins in the pelvis. Now we found out the estrogen itself is uh, very important in making your venous disease worse. So uh, one of the recommendations is uh, start wearing compression stockings the minute your urine turns positive and don't wait till, you know, showing, uh, you know, that you're pregnant. By that time, it's, it's a little late. So I strongly recommend anybody who gets pregnant, you know, wearing compression stocking and will slow the disease down. It might not stop it, but definitely will slow it 
it now. So these are just, of course, the hormonal factors. You know, pregnancy is very unique because you've got the hormonal uh, factor. Then you've got the weight gain, you know, salt retention. You've got the weight of the uterus pushing on the vena cava and the iliac veins, which actually drain, uh, drain the veins from the legs. So if the blood can't get out, it backs up and can tear those valves. But there are other things which contribute to uh, one getting venous disease. I've added to, to this list tall men because tall men are rather unique. Men usually have much larger veins than women. So imagine you've got these gigantic veins on your legs, and I'm sure you've all seen guys with this ropey, like snakes on their legs, which are veins, you know, dilated veins. So because they're tall, the heart is a lot higher than, than the foot, than an average person. So you can imagine the hydrostatic pressure at the ankle is very high. And if one of those veins ever ruptures, they have massive bleeding. And uh, you have so much blood pooling in the leg that it just tears a lot of those valves. And sometimes I've heard them say that they get lightheaded or feel weak after a while. They have to sit down and keep their leg elevated, although it hasn't been shown scientifically anywhere that I've read. But common sense tells me if all these large veins in your leg are getting full of blood and blood is not returning to your heart, then you're probably down maybe a pint or two or maybe more uh, where the blood instead of coming back to your heart is sitting in your legs. So clearly your cardiac output, your uh, your energy level, uh, everything you know gets affected by that. So I think tall people, because of hydrostatic pressure and large veins uh, also uh, are very prone to getting it, especially with that genetic predisposition. Okay, so those are the genetic components, but lifestyle and even what you do for a living can play a role in vein disease too, right? Uh, absolutely. So let's, let's talk about some of the jobs, jobs which involve sitting for a long period of time. For example, if you're an accountant, secretary, or a truck driver, I've had all of these patients. I've had accountants who particularly around during during the tax time when they are uh, most accountants tell me you know when it's a tax period uh, they are really overworked they're sitting for hours and hours trying to take care of the everybody's tax issues and uh, filing the tax returns and usually their legs are the worst then because they're, they're sitting they hardly get a chance to get up and walk so prolonged sitting you know that that is one I remember a lady who used to just record things in court she had done it for 25 years she spent most of the time sitting there and just typing all day I don't know how many hours, but, you know, quite a few hours. And she had very bad venous uh, disease and uh, had very advanced skin changes because of venous disease. Uh, truck drivers. Uh, I'm amazed. You know, I've had quite a few truck drivers. But truck drivers are tough. They uh, say, well, my leg hurts because, you know, I'm constantly driving. No, if, in fact, one way of finding out if your problem is related to your veins, where some compression is talking, and find that your legs don't hurt as much, then it is venous insufficiency. You're sitting in the, in the truck, driving hours and hours. Blood is just pooling in the leg, can't get out. And I can see those sometimes with an ultrasound when I'm looking, you can clearly see when the calf muscles don't move, the blood just sits there in the, in the leg. It just doesn't get out. And of course, the longer it stays, the more oxygen is extracted from it. So the more you get lactic acid formation, more aching, more heaviness, more tiredness. It's almost like somebody put a tourniquet on their uh, groin and not take it off and just don't, don't cut the arteries, but just the veins. And then just don't take it off till they come home and elevate their leg. So if somebody put a tourniquet on your arm and they were going to draw your blood, but you forgot to take the tourniquet off, you find that eight hours later, your hand is bluish, swollen, achy, heavy, tired. Uh, these people get this very similar symptoms to that in their legs. So truck drivers, important. Now, uh, also jobs which involve a standing. Now, walking and running is the best thing you can do for veins. But if you're standing in the same position, 
Uh, for example, I'm a surgeon. Sometimes I was 12, 14 hours in the same operation, standing up in, the, in one position. Well, surgeons prone to getting uh, venous insufficiency. Nurses, they're standing for a long period of time, uh, either in the ICU or recovery room, wherever they are, they're up on their feet. Real estate agents, you know, uh, you know, they're either driving or getting up and talking to their clients. The attorneys are standing in court or sitting for hours. Pilots are very unique situation uh, because in the, uh, one of the pilots told me that the majority of times the planes are not really pressurized. So as soon as you get into plane, it is obviously not pressurized. You have to get above a certain level before it's pressurized. So I've noticed uh, the vast majority of pilots I've met, you can almost guarantee they've got venous insufficiency. And unfortunately, so do the flight attendants because they are in the plane in a long period of time. So they get venous insufficiency. Uh, retail workers, you know, a similar kind of situation. So is it accurate to say that vein disease most commonly affects the legs? There seems to be something unique about veins in the legs that are more prone to becoming defective. So what makes them defective is, is the valves. And once the valves are gone, like any other pump, if your calf muscle and your veins and the valves are part of a pump system, the pump can fail, A, because you're not using your calf muscle, or because the vein is stretched or diseased or traumatized. Or most likely, the most common one is the valves quit functioning. They get stretched. And then I call it the domino effect. When the first valve gives in the groin, then there's a lot more weight of blood on the second valve. And of course, the second valve, like a dam, breaks down and then more flooding on the th third valve. And, uh, you know, the show goes on. It kind of reminds me when it was during the hurricane, I think it was in New Orleans, I was watching one of the dams which broke and you could see the, the you know, as the water was going down, it was breaking more and more dams as, as it went through. And valves work the same way. Once the first one gives, there's more pressure in the second and third and fourth. The building momentum. Yeah, absolutely. I've had patients come in and say, Doc, uh, yeah, I've always had varicose veins, but I've noticed just over the last month, I've developed two more and then I'm developing a lot more. Uh, so what's going on? And that's exactly what's going on. Once the disease starts, it's almost like a, like, a, like a zipper on your jacket. Once it starts heading down, it just keeps on going. And Dr. Cameron, I know we have just barely scratched the surface when it comes to vein disease. We've got lots more to talk about. Thanks so much for all the insight you've shared with us today. Did you have any final thoughts for the listeners? So uh, they say an ounce of prevention is better than a ton of cure. If, if you think you've got venous disease, you know, just go ahead and find a doctor in your, your vicinity and, you know, let them look at it. And we, we're going to uh, uh, talk about that, uh, Amy, as you know, later on about uh, where do you go if you've got venous disease? What kind of doctor do you, do you ask for help? And, uh, but, you know, we, we cover that in, in, in our next episode. That's right. That's right. This is just part one in our series on vein disease. So in our next episode, we're going to talk more about the specific symptoms how do you know if you have vein disease? Also, when should you go see a doctor? What are the treatment options? And then of course, what can you expect before, during, and after treatment? Thank you so much for listening to the show. This is the Nice Living with Dr. Cameron podcast. We invite you to subscribe to the show on your favorite platform so you can find out as soon as new episodes publish. You can learn more about the show at scarlessveincare.com forward slash podcast. That's where you can also view the notes for this episode. You can find relevant links to topics we've discussed, and you can even recommend topics for upcoming shows. So, of course, Dr. Cameron is by all accounts a vascular expert, but the show's not exclusively focusing on vein-related topics. So from back pain to gallbladder issues, anything in between, Dr. Cameron has broad experience as a general surgeon and, of course, many fellow physician friends who we're going to be featuring on the show soon, and they are ready to provide the insight on health topics that matter to you. 
Again, that's scarlessveincare.com forward slash podcast to send us that email with topic recommendations. Until next time, I'm Amy Bowen. And I'm Dr. Cabra. And we wish you the best of health, happiness, and nice living in the meantime.